0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 8th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Fans of industrial policy of government putting its thumb on the scales in the name of social benefit are learning in fits and starts that all the other government preferences built into statutes over decades would make their plans dramatically less impactful. Cato's Scott Lincecum tries to give our friends on the pro-intervention side of the debate— some good news. Why is it, Scott, that you think I need to call my local industrial policy fan and, I don't know, maybe send an edible arrangement or something like that to salve their hurt feelings? Yeah, so,
1: uh, in the last few months, uh, the dreams of a lot of industrial policy champions uh, that have been expressed over the last couple of years, um, and the enthusiasm they've had about the implementation of a really wide range of new U.S. industrial policy measures in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, in the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, and in the Chips and Science Act for semiconductors. Um, so all of those grand plans have uh Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, for them, unfortunately, run smack dab into political reality. Um, the and they've done that in in two ways. Uh, first, is uh, the implementation of these measures has now become subject to all sorts of highly politicized uh, conditions. So you have to, if you want to build a semiconductor fab in the United States and get federal money, you have to offer f- free childcare to your workers. Um, you have to share your profits with the government. You have to, of course, uh, agree not to trade with China and so forth and so on. Um, so those, of course, political restrictions are going to raise the cost of, of these, of constructing these fabs and the rest. And that, of course, dismays industrial policy fans that were hoping we were just going to, you know, hand out free government money, uh, to have more semiconductor production in the United States. So, and then the second issue is that, uh, these industrial policy plans are also running into pre-existing policies that act as a restriction on the potential construction and production and supply of these goods. So these are things that libertarians and free marketers have been uh, warning about for years, things like by American mandate, so you have to use American steel, uh, or the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA, which uh, causes massive construction delays for permitting and lawsuits and the rest. So, So, of course, again, the folks that looked at these industrial policy plans on paper and said, aha, we're going to lead the world in solar panel production or EV production or whatever are now going, eh. Uh, A three-year delay for environmental permitting. Well, that stinks. And and so, uh, again, I I I have a little bit of sympathy for uh, for these enthusiastic, optimistic chaps um, on the left and the right. I should note who have um, unfortunately had a big dose of reality in the last
0: couple months. But it's sort of a strange irony that the the best laid plans of industrial policy fans are running into current Leviathan government yes, and discovering that everybody wants a piece of the action and that in doing so, uh, the actual impact that they might have wanted is either dramatically muted or the uh, legislation that they might have preferred is DOA. Right, right. And, and of course the real uh, comedy here
1: is that uh, during the big industrial policy debates of the last couple of years, we libertarians were uh, derided as uh, ivory tower market fundamentalists uh, who didn't grasp that uh, the importance and quality of these industrial policy measures that are are going forward. Um, And now, uh, now that all the money is, is of course being doled out, um, the same folks are actually discovering some of the core criticisms that I and others um, have been um, lodging against industrial policy, particularly in the United States, for, for years now. Um, and and you know that that is the you know the comedy here is there is a big I told you so um, that uh, industrial policy in the United States has a long long history of running into the very impediments that we warned about a couple of years ago and that we're now seeing today. Now, that, of course, doesn't mean that all of these initiatives are doomed to fail, that um, everything is is ruined, but it does, I think, uh, finally, you know, we do get a bit of a victory lap in the sense that these are the exact types of things that should have been addressed prior to the United States government embarking on a trillion-plus dollar industrial policy spending scheme. Um, and, quite frankly, some of these supply-side restrictions, as as I've noted multiple times, um, might have, if they were removed, alleviated the need for all that government money in the first place. Because, uh, you know, there was a ton of private Uh, Interest and private investment uh, in uh, renewable energy and in electric vehicles. There's a ton of consumer interest and consumer demand for these technologies. People like solar panels. They want to be greener and cleaner and the rest. And so had the government simply started with the supply side restrictions, removed the protectionism, uh, reformed the permitting process, reformed environmental and other regulations, uh, done a little bit on the tax side, too, we're running into some tax problems with some of these big semiconductor plants, Um, reformed immigration, of course, because we're having worker shortages, too, in some of these key areas for engineers and construction workers. If we had done these supply side reforms, um, given the really ample private demand for for all this stuff, we might not have needed all the trillions in spending anyway. Um, so instead, we're getting um, what I've said is essentially uh, we, uh, attaching a garden hose to a fire hydrant, uh, turning the fire hydrant on full blast, and then complaining about everybody getting soaking wet and the, the hose being clogged up, right? Uh, and, and that's, I think, uh, disappointing, but but I mean, let's face it, also kind of funny.
0: Well, le- let me... Retort as a fan of industrial policy. By all means, let's get rid of all that stuff because our program is important. Right. It's more important than those parochial interests. Our interests are national betterment, uh, uh, reviving the middle class in America. Right. This is why we need these particular restrictions now, oh, and also national security, which we attached everything anyway.
1: Yeah, right, right. Well, there's there's a, a few problems with that. Obviously, uh, the first is that um, if these conditions didn't raise the costs of these projects, then they wouldn't be needed in the first place, right? If if a semiconductor manufacturer uh, thinks that providing child care is important for attracting a skilled workforce or getting construction workers. Well, they're they're going to do that without the government mandate. So there's inevitably going to be a tension between your one goal of boosting semiconductor production in the United States or any other of these things we're trying to subsidize and attaching all these political conditions, right? Uh, there, You can't. You can't have your cake and eat it too. There's always going to be trade-offs in there. Um, cause if there weren't trade-offs, again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need to mandate it. Um, and that goes for buy American rules and, and a lot of other things. Um, the second problem though is that it really runs into the unintended consequences aspect of, of industrial policy. So, you know, markets are pretty darn good at figuring out what people want and how to provide it to them at a, a cost-effective and valuable basis, right? Um, with just throwing tons of money at this for supposed national interest reasons or whatever, you're, you're really short-circuiting that that process, particularly, again, when you run into all these supply-side restrictions. And you, you really risk a lot of waste and a lot of uh, production that isn't actually valuable that crowds out new technologies. You know, for example, everybody's super into fusion all of a sudden. Um, will this you know crowd out investment in, in fusion? Um, or uh, there are uh, indications that we there are new semiconductor technologies that are you know coming uh, in the private market. Will will those new fabs we have, which won't even be that new by the time they come online in a few years, well, will that Uh, mess up, uh, you know, or distort investment in in something that could be even better. And so you have um, and then, of course, not to mention uh, you're taking workers that and resources that could have been put elsewhere in the economy, and you're sucking those up, uh, but in a very gummed up process. It, it just doesn't make a, a ton of sense. And then the, the final thing is that there's this idea out there from industrial policy fans that, aha, well, now we've discovered where the bodies are buried in terms of regulatory and supply-side impediments, and we'll just pivot nimbly. Government will will reform these because now we you know, they're blocking our our national priorities. Um and that, of course, I mean, look, we we can all chuckle at the idea of a very nimble government as we, you know, celebrate the one hundred and fifth anniversary of the Jones Act, for example, um and or you know, century uh, anniversary of Buy American rules and the rest, right? So we don't we don't we're not very good at nimble pivoting. Um, but beyond that, it really runs into the the classic issue of there is no real national interest, right? Uh, you're going to always, especially in a political process, have conflicting priorities, and and the idea that uh, the government is simply going to suddenly marshal uh, political consensus to remove these long standing impediments uh, is is pretty far fetched, because again, you know, people have different priorities. Politicians, of course, being self interested, have different priorities. Um, you know, you, you, it's impossible to get 435 members of the House in a room and have them all agree on really anything, like lunch even. Uh, so the idea that they're just suddenly going to take on these very entrenched int- uh, issues and regulations and laws and impediments um, because we need to build extra semiconductors is is pretty fanciful.
0: Markets are not perfect, Scott. I need you to recognize that immediately here. And to the extent that markets are imperfect, we can say as a polity that uh, markets fail to value X, Y, and Z, but we all agree that X, Y, and Z are really important. And so why not have some policies in place that will privilege X, Y, and Z, whatever the small disruptions there may be in the marketplace?
1: Yeah. Well, this gets, of course, to uh, a really core flaw in industrial policy that is once again uh, being revealed right now. And that is that you've, you've given uh, effectively the steel manned case for industrial policy. So, you know, um, the idea that there are these pervasive market failures that have prevented the proper allocation of resources to achieve national strategic, uh, objectives, right? So the problem, of course, is that if in reality, uh, there are, A, these big political impediments to actually delivering uh, the public goods or goods that we need um, that the market failures have revealed. Um, well, then you can end up that you're actually not solving that market failure at all. In fact, you're, you're going to be generating new distortions in the economy, you know, those unintended consequences we talked about. The second problem, though, is that if there are these pre-existing laws and regulations that are the supply-side restrictions that are preventing the proper allocation of resources. Well, then in reality, you actually have a government failure, not a market failure, right? Um, If we have foolish tax policy, foolish immigration policy, onerous regulations and protectionism and the rest that are making it too costly to, again, let's say, build a semiconductor fab in the United States, and if, as industrial policy fans say, the big problem with building semiconductor fabs in the United States is it's just too expensive, hence why we need the money. Well, the obvious solution is you start with the government impediments. You start with the government failures, you get rid of those, and then you decide whether you you actually need government involvement, whether there is a market failure that exists. Um, of course, we have done the exact opposite. We have put the money uh, cart before the supply side reform horse, and now we're complaining that we're stuck
0: uh, and we're not getting anywhere. Scott Linsicum directs General Economics at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.